Had a Sago Bibles this morning and turn over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and let's just begin reading from verse 19 as we start this morning. It says, When he received meat, he was strengthened, and there was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound under the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Their lying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by basket, uh, sorry, by night, and let him down by the wall in a basket. Let's just open with a word of prayer this morning. <coughs> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come around your word. Lord, I pray that you'd bless now as we continue our study in the book of Acts. I pray that you would give me wisdom and guidance now as I preach. I pray that be your words, that they be your thoughts. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just give us understanding of this passage for us. And Lord, may we receive a blessing and a challenge from it this morning, I pray. May we leave, Lord, knowing that we've been in your presence and giving all glory and praise unto you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we have been considering the events recorded for us here in Acts chapter 9. Um, I think we began just before Christmas. We looked at one at the start of January, and now we're up to the third one here in Acts chapter 9. So we've seen so far in verses 1 to 9, we have Saul meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus, that famous meeting where he's on the road going down to Damascus to persecute the Christians and there's that blinding light that shines around him and of course we saw it's the glory of the Lord the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ meeting him in the way and the Lord finally gets Saul's attention Saul finally recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah Jesus is his Christ the Son of God and Saul gets saved on the road to Damascus and then in verses 10 through to 18 we saw Saul's second meeting, which was with the man Ananias. Now, this man was called by God to go and find Saul, to lay hands upon him and to heal Saul and commission Saul for the ministry. Now, and at first, Ananias is understandably very reluctant to go and see this one who's seeking to kill him. You know, he's very reluctant to go and see Saul and to help Saul. But, you know, the Lord answers his questions and Ananias then in obedience goes, finds Saul, lays his hands upon him and in the name of Christ he heals him and Saul, we saw, gets baptised. And now we come to verses 19 to 25 and we see here that a third meeting now takes place. He's met the Lord on the road to Damascus, he's met Ananias and now we see that Saul meets opposition. He meets opposition. You know, this one who opposed the Christian faith with such passion now experiences opposition and persecution for his newfound faith in Christ. You know, your complete role reversal, if you like. 
And in the verses before us, we see the events that lead up to this opposition. So notice, firstly, if you will, this morning, we see that Saul preaches Christ. Saul preaches Christ. In verse 19, we read, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You know, after meeting with Ananias, Saul is strengthened, it says, both physically and spiritually. It says in verse 19, and when he received meat, he was strengthened. Okay, and then Saul was certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. You know, Saul had spent three days and three nights without food or drink. And so understandably, he's quite weak at this time. He's in a weakened state. And he needs physical nourishments. And so he, he, it says that he received meat and he's strengthened. But, you know, he also needed spiritual nourishment too, didn't he? You know, that was the more important thing, spiritual nourishment. And so we read that he spends certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now, this newborn believer now spends time fellowshipping with his brethren, with fellow Christians. Now, these very ones that he had sought to put to death, now, these are the ones he'd come to Damascus looking for. They now receive him, and Saul is spending time with them, fellowshipping with them. And so he's strengthened both physically and spiritually here in verse 19. And then in verse 20 we see it says, And straightway he preached Christ. Straightway he preached Christ. You know, Saul's immediate reaction was to get somewhere as soon as he could and preach. Get somewhere as soon as he could and tell others what he had found out for himself, that Jesus is the Christ. Now we see a great eagerness here, don't we, from this new convert to the faith. A great eagerness to tell others, great passion for the Lord. You know, Saul's passion is now focused in the right direction, isn't it? Before, his passion was against Christ, against any Christians he could find, and now the Lord's taken that passion and redirected it in service for him. And Saul now uses his passion to tell others about the Lord. You know, he finds a platform for preaching in the synagogues of Damascus, okay? It says, and straightway he preached Christ, where? In the synagogues. This is where he found a, a platform, this is where he found a pulpit to preach from, in the synagogues of Damascus. You see, it was customary in those days for able Jewish men to stand up and they would be given time to speak on the scriptures. And you know, Saul was certainly an able man, wasn't he? Okay, we've seen how he was a scribe, he was a, he was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was a very wise man. He'd been taught at the school of Gamaliel. He knew the scriptures. And so if anyone had an opportunity, had a right to stand up in the synagogues, it's Saul. And so as he enters into the synagogues, they give him audience. They let him stand up. And, you know, Saul takes great advantage of this opportunity. You know, the thing about this week, you know, you can imagine the first time he walked into one of those synagogues and he stood up to speak... This is not what they were expecting to hear, is it? This is not what they were expecting to hear come out of the mouth of Saul. You know, they knew he was coming to Damascus. They knew he was coming, why? To, you know, find those who were Christians, to arrest them and take them back to Jerusalem. They knew he was coming to deal with the problem 
of Christianity, if you like. And yet now he stands up, and instead of speaking against Christianity, Saul speaks emphatically in favor of Christianity. Emphatically, he stands up and he says that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God. At the end of verse 20 there, it says he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. That was the, the focus of his message. That was the main point, that Christ, Jesus, is the Son of God. Now, this is the only time in the book of Acts that we find this title used. Nowhere else in the book of Acts do you find this title, the Son of God, used. You know, this title is one that the Apostle Paul would adapt, would use and repeat time and time again right throughout his writings, wouldn't he? It became a main uh, emphasis of his theology, of his doctrine. You know, right throughout his epistles, he uses this title to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. At least 15 times we see him call Jesus Christ the Son of God. It's a major emphasis of his ministry. And the reason is because this is the effect that the meeting on the road to Damascus had, isn't it? Okay, this, is what, this is what he found out on the road to Damascus. He found out that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, is the Son of God. This wonderful truth dawned upon Saul and now he wants everyone else to know. He wants everyone else to know what he's discovered. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, their Messiah. Now in verse 21 here we read the reaction of those who heard him. It says, but all that heard him were amazed. And said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. You know, the reaction of those who are present is that they are amazed. In other words, they're astonished at what they're hearing. They can't believe there is. Can't believe that it's coming out of the mouth of Saul. You know, before them stood the man who had, as they said, destroyed, okay, or made havoc of the church at Jerusalem. This same man who had come to Damascus to do the exact same thing, it says he came with intent to destroy or to make havoc of the church at Damascus. Now this same man is now preaching that Jesus is their Messiah. He is the Son of God. You know, is it any wonder that it says they are amazed, they are astonished? You know, they were astonished by the transformation that had taken place in the life of Saul. And you know, the change that's taken place in Saul is nothing short of a miracle, is it? It's a miracle. God has taken this one who hated Christ, hated Christians, hated anything to do with it. And now he is speaking emphatically about Christ and how Christ is, his, is the Son of God. Christ is his Messiah. What a change. It's a miracle that's taken place in the life of Saul. You know, as I was thinking about it this week, you know, it is the exact same miracle that takes place every time someone believes on the Lord. This same miracle takes place. Every time someone gets saved, this miracle takes place. You see, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within and the Holy Spirit changes that person from the inside out. 
You know, when you and I got saved, a miracle took place. The Holy Spirit came to dwell within. The Holy Spirit changed us. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we get saved, we're made a new creature, aren't we? New creature in Christ Jesus. When someone truly gets saved, there is a change in their desires. There is a change in their passions. You know, where once that person hated Christ, hated Christians... There is now love for Christ and there is love for the brethren. There is a change. There is now a desire, there is now a passion to tell others the wonderful truth that Christ is the Son of God and that Christ has died for them. There is a change in their desires and their passion. You know, sadly for many of us, that passion has cooled over the years, hasn't it? You know, sometimes it's wonderful to see a new Christian, isn't it? They get saved and they have this real energy this real desire to tell everyone and they almost put us all to shame don't they because they have this passion like Saul they just can't help themselves they want to tell everyone and sadly we seem to have allowed that passion to call at times we don't have the urgency that we should have to tell others you know God's will for us is that like Saul we would passionately tell the lost that we would have a passion for souls and you know, beloved, we need to pray that the Lord would, you know, revive that passion. The Lord would give us a passion for souls, like the man Saul, the apostle Paul. Secondly, here we see now, not only does Saul preach Christ, but Saul is taught by the Lord. Saul is taught by the Lord. Verse twenty-two it says, "But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt." At Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, although Luke doesn't mention it here in his account, there is actually a period of time between verse 21 and verse 22. There's a gap of time. Turn over with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, if you would. And read from verse 16. <clears throat> Galatians 1 verse 16, it says, To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him, Fifteen days, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Here in Galatians chapter 1, Paul, if you like, fills in this period of time for us. He tells us what happens here. He tells us that he departed from Damascus and he went into Arabia. Okay, verse 17. Okay, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them, which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and then returned again unto Damascus. So there is this period of time where Paul, Saul, okay, where he leaves Damascus and he goes into Arabia and then he comes back to Damascus before going to Jerusalem. 
And so there is a period of time that Luke doesn't tell us about here in Acts. A period of time that takes place. And most commentators believe that it fits perfectly between verse 21 and verse 22. Some put it after verse 22, but most say between verse 21 and 22. And verse 18 here in Galatians chapter 1 tells us that a period of three years elapses before he goes back to Jerusalem. Okay, it says in verse 18, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And so there's three years. There's a period of three years that takes place here. Now how much of that three years he spends in Arabia, we can't say for sure. But it seems like the majority of that three years is spent alone in Arabia. Arabia at that time in Saul's day extended all the way to the city of Damascus. Okay, it was like the northern border, if you like, of Arabia. And this is indicated by Paul's own account of this time in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just turn over there, 2 Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 11 and verse 32, it says, In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of uh, the Damascians with a garrison desirous to, desirous to apprehend me. Um, and, and through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Verse 32 here, Paul tells us that in Damascus, the governor was under Aretas, the king. And Aretas the king was king of Arabia. Okay, so Saul basically tells us, he says that under, at this time Damascus was under the reign of Arabia. He was under the control of Arabia. Um, now the Arabians, if you like, are also known as the Nabataeans. Some of you may have heard that name before. Okay, it's the same group of people. And the king, King Aretas, his capital city was none other than Petra. Okay, that city I'm sure we've all seen pictures of, that's the city that was the capital city for the Arabians or the Nabataeans at this time. That's where he was king. And so that gives you an idea of the extensive region that he's over, okay, all the way from Petra up to Damascus. It's a fairly large area that he has control of at this time. And this is the region that Saul now says that he departed into. He left Damascus and he goes into Arabia. And so the indication is that he heads south. Okay, that's the idea here. He's heading south further into this, this region of Arabia. You know, some have suggested that Saul may have travelled as far south as the Sinaitic Peninsula to Mount Sinai, okay, because that was down there in Arabia. He may have gone all the way down there. And they get that from Galatians chapter 4, I think it is, where he mentions Mount Sinai, okay, um, Others suggest that he may have gone all the way over to the city of Petra, okay, which is part of the reason why the king tried to apprehend him in Damascus, maybe because he was causing problems, preaching the truth. You know, the reality is we don't know where he goes in Arabia. We don't know. All we know is that he departed from Damascus, he heads south, and he spends a period of time, possibly up to, as I said, three years, alone in this region. You know, the question then that comes to mind is, what is Saul doing in Arabia? What's he doing down there for all this time? 
Why is he there? Why does he leave Damascus, leave the disciples? Why does he head south? Well, it seems to be that the Lord instructed him to do this. The Lord instructed him to go south alone so that the Lord could teach him and instruct him in the word. You know, Saul was called to be an apostle of the Lord, wasn't he? He's called to be an apostle. And, you know, therefore there was much that the Lord needed to teach Saul, wasn't there? There was much that he needed to teach him and instruct him in so that he could be effective in his ministry for the Lord. Now, when you consider the other apostles, they all spent three years at the feet of Christ, didn't they? They had three years where they were with Christ and Christ was instructing them. Christ was teaching them, preparing them for when he would leave them and they would be his apostles. And so this seems to be Saul's or Paul's similar experience. This seems to be his time of training, if you like, from the Lord. In Galatians chapter 1, where we were, Paul goes to great lengths to make sure that we understand that he received his training from Christ. Just go to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. We'll start reading from there. In Galatians 1, verse 10, it says, For do I now persuade men, or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited and profit in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Now Paul, he goes to great lengths to make sure that we understand, make sure the Galatians understand that he was called by God and that the gospel he had, the teaching he had, was given to him from Christ. It wasn't given to him by any man. In verse 12, he says this, he says, For I received it, sorry, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, No man taught me this, Christ taught me. It was revealed to me by the Lord himself. And then in verse 16, he stresses it as well, he says, To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He says, I didn't go and get teaching from man. My teaching came from the Lord. It came from Christ. And so it seems that this time that he spends alone in Arabia is spent learning from the Lord. It's spent learning at the feet of Christ. He's been instructed for the ministry that is ahead. He's been taught theology. He's been taught doctrine. How it all fits together. Christ instructing him. Now, if you like, this is Paul's Bible college training, isn't it? This is him being trained for the ministry. This is God preparing him. You know, all of this training meant that when he did finally meet with the apostles at the end of that three-year period, when he finally met with them, 
He met them as an equal. He didn't go to Jerusalem to meet them to be trained. He went there as an equal. In verse 18 here of Galatians, it says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Okay, the Greek word that's translated to see there means to inquire into or to become personally acquainted with. Basically, what it means is that Saul or Paul, he went to Jerusalem to make friends with Peter. He didn't go there to be taught by Peter. He didn't go there to be taught by the apostles. He went there to get to know the other apostles. Why? Because he was their equal. He'd been trained just like them by the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't need them to teach him. He already knew. And he was their equal. He was an apostle born out of season, as Paul says. You know, the effect of this training is evident to us in Acts chapter 9 and verse 22. As I said, it takes place between verse 21 and 22. And in verse 22, we read this. It says, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. In verse 22 here, we're told that he increased in strength and he confounded the Jews. He returns to Damascus with a knowledge that confounds everyone. He returns with a great understanding, great wisdom, great knowledge of the truth. And he proves to them categorically that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is their Messiah. And as we consider Saul's training here at the feet of Christ, you know, we are reminded of the importance of being trained for service. Now, this is why our church has a Bible college, isn't it? This is why we have one. And we will continue to have one as long as the Lord deems fit, as long as the Lord sends us, you know, people who want to go to Bible college. We have a Bible college because we believe it is important to train men and women for the ministry, to train them so that they are prepared for the ministry God has for them, so they can be effective in doing that which God has called them to do. You know, by the same token, you know, all of us may not be called to Bible college. You know, we may not all need to go to Bible college. That may not be God's will for all of us. But it is God's will for all of us to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of his word, to grow in our knowledge of his doctrines. Why? So that we can then be effective in the ministry. Whatever that ministry is that God has for us within this local church. God wants us to grow in our knowledge of his words so that we might then accomplish that effectively. You know, this is why our personal devotions each day are so important, aren't they? Because it's our time at the feet of Christ. It's our time sitting and learning from him, having him instruct us and teach us. As Darren pointed out in 2 Corinthians, he talks about being changed from glory to glory into the image of his son. God's word changes us. It molds us, it makes us so that we can be effective for him. You know, this is the whole purpose of the church. The purpose of the church, according to Ephesians 4 verse 12, is to perfect the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. That's the whole reason we come to church, isn't it? To be fed. So we might grow spiritually, we might grow in our wisdom, our understanding of God's word, so that we might then do the work of the ministry. See, this is where we receive instruction from the Lord. So we all, if we're going to be effective for the Lord, we need to be trained. It doesn't necessarily mean we all need to go to Bible college. 
But we all need to be trained from God's word, increase in wisdom and knowledge so we can be effective for him. Lastly, now we see that Saul is persecuted. Saul is persecuted. Verse 23 with me of Acts chapter 9, it says, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him, that a lying away it was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Now as we read in verse 22, Saul returned with a great knowledge and wisdom. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's confounding the people. And as a result of this, the Jews go, we've had enough. We want to silence this man. We want to silence Saul. And so in verse 23 it says, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. The after many days here refer, refers to all the time. Okay, So it includes the time in Arabia. It includes this whole three-year period. So after all that's taken place, after many days, the Jews now rise up against Saul. They've had enough. Jews want to get rid of him. They want to kill him. You know, the Jews had begun by being astonished. They'd been amazed. That was verse 21. Now it's got to the point where they've had enough. Let's kill this man. You know, Saul now, for the very first time in his ministry, meets with opposition. He meets opposition. The hunter becomes the hunted. You know, Saul had come to Damascus for one purpose, to silence the Christians. And now he is on the receiving end of that same persecution. He is the one that is being silenced. And we're told that the Jews took counsel to kill him. You know, they weren't messing around, were they? It wasn't just let's arrest him, it was let's kill him. Let's deal with him. They were serious about getting rid of Saul. Yeah, they were serious enough to enlist the help of the governor of Damascus. That's what we read over in 2 Corinthians. Just turn there again. 2 Corinthians 11. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 32, it says, In Damascus the governor under Aretas the king kept the city of the Damascians with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. And so the governor of the city is against Saul as well. The Jews are working with the governor. They are not messing around. They are serious about killing Saul. And we're told in verse 24 that of Acts chapter 9 that basically what they do is they set a watch by the gates. Now they figure if we watch the gates, Saul's going to have to go out sometime. We'll get him then. We'll arrest him then when he's trying to leave the city. Basically, they blocked these entrances and they waited for him to go past so they could arrest him on the spots. You know, Saul here gets the very first taste of what God promised him in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. It says in verse 16 there, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, the Lord had said, Saul's going to suffer great things. He's going to suffer greatly for my sake. And Saul now begins to experience that. This is the very first experience of meeting with opposition, meeting with persecution. You know, throughout his life, Paul would be hated, hunted, plotted against by both the Jews and the Gentiles. Everyone was against him. 
In 2 Corinthians 11, where we were before, in verse 23, we read about all the things he suffered. Let's go there, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. It says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labours more abundant, in stripes above measures. In prisons more frequent, in death, deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I have been in the de deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, and thirst in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You know, Saul suffered for the Lord, didn't he? Verse 16 of Acts chapter 9 is fulfilled as Saul went through a lot for the Lord. And that suffering, that persecution began in Damascus. And we continue right throughout his life. In verse 26 there it says that he suffered perils by mine own countrymen and perils by the heathen. It came from every direction, didn't it? It came from his own Jew, the countrymen, the Jews, and it came from the Gentiles. Everyone was against Saul, was against the Apostle Paul. But you know, as the Lord did right throughout his ministry, God protected Saul. God protected him here in Damascus. Because in verse 24 and 25 of Acts chapter 9, we read that Saul learns about the plot to kill him. How do you think he learned that? God made sure he learned about it, didn't he? God made sure through his providence, that Saul learnt about the plots. And then the disciples, it says, they smuggle him out of the city. They let him down over the wall in a basket. In 2 Corinthians 11, where we were, verse 33, it says they went through a window in the wall and let him down. Now, the Lord made sure that Saul was protected, didn't he? God wasn't finished with him yet. God had more suffering for him to go through. God had more for him to, to face, more for him to do. God was not finished with Saul. God had barely begun. And so God delivered Saul, and indeed God delivered him right throughout his ministry, didn't he? Time and time again, God delivered Saul from impossible situations. Why? Because God wasn't finished with him yet. You know, one commentator I read said this, that a man of God is immortal as long as he remains in the will of God. And it's true, isn't it? Well, ever the man of God is in the will of God, he can't die until God's finished. That was Saul. That was Paul. Right throughout his life, he suffers all these things and he doesn't die. Why? Because God's not finished yet. He gets stoned and God says, come on, let's keep going. You're not finished yet. See, God's not finished with him and God had more for him to do. And God protected him right throughout his life. It didn't matter what he faced. As we read in 2 Corinthians 11, they, he faced a lot, didn't he? He suffered a lot for the name of Christ. But through it all, God protected him. God brought him through it to his glory. You know, Paul's reaction to this suffering later in life was to count it a privilege to suffer for the Lord. Just turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're almost done this morning. 2 Timothy 3. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution. 
You know, Paul understood the fact that he suffered. Why? Because he was living for the Lord. And he counted it a privilege. He counted it an honor to suffer for Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, we see a similar thing. Philippians 3, verse 8. Philippians 3, verse 8, it says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable under his death. If, if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead. You know, Paul counted it a privilege, didn't he? Counted it a privilege to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. Suffer for the Lord. You know, like Saul, like the Apostle Paul, when we have a passion for souls and when we seek to tell others about him, we will suffer. We will face opposition. It is a reality that we will meet opposition. Maybe not to the extreme that Paul did, but we will meet opposition. And you know, beloved, it's only going to get worse as we see the return of Christ approaching. That opposition is going to get worse. But you know, like Paul, we must count it a privilege to suffer for him. In 1 Peter, we'll close with this passage, 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> In 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, it says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye have re reproach for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part is he was spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And we could read on. But the point is seen clearly there in verse 14. It says, if you, have sorry, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. You know, that should be our reaction when we meet opposition. When we meet opposition, beloved, we should rejoice that we've been counted worthy to suffer for his name. That we're facing the opposition he faced. You know, opposition shouldn't cause us to cower and to give up. Rather, it should cause us to rejoice and press on for Christ, as the Apostle Paul did in his life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Saul, who you took and changed into the great Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, for his desire as soon as he saved, his passion to stand and preach Christ for his training at the feet of the Lord. And Lord, as he met opposition, Lord, that opposition didn't slow him down. He pressed on for you. Lord, I pray that you help each of us to have a passion for souls. May, Lord, you help us to be in your words, be training at your feet, so we might be effective for you. And Lord, when we meet that opposition, may we just stand firm for you and rejoice that we're suffering for you, for your name. May we bless to be closed. May we remember the truths of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name.